Hey, church, how are we today? Awesome. Let's kick this service out uh, with saying on the count of three, we can't stay here. Ready? One, two, three. We can't stay here. Where are we going to go? You guys want to go to lunch? Let's go to lunch. Let's go to lunch. Huh? All right. Well, hey, this is our last week of this series, Can't Stay Here. Uh, we've had a great time with this. We're going to continue today. And the next week we are off to Easter, right? You guys have been seeing invite cards everywhere. Uh, I'm really excited. I've got, uh, I've got, I know for sure, one, probably two families that I've been working on that has not been in church, and I, I really believe one for sure, maybe two, will be here next week, so I'm really excited about that. Uh, I'm excited. Uh, much like you guys, yeah, you should cheer for that. That's awesome. Uh, but I, I get excited like you guys get excited, but I, I, I'm, I'm always reminded when I have guests coming, like me personally, like friends of mine, like I want our church to be great that day. Right, so like on, I know that you guys are like when you have guests coming, you're like, man, I hope the message is good, right, and not too long, right, or I hope he didn't get ADD like he did the week before and get off like eight rabbit trails and forget his name and like what book he's talking about or whatever, um, and the music's good and all that, and so I, I, I'm, I'm living what you guys feel weekly next week, and I'm reminded that we've said this before, and I'm going to say it again today. That if you have guests coming, and I, I, I believe I've heard a lot of you talking about, you know, working your invite cards and inviting friends you've invited that said that they wouldn't come to church ever, and you've got them coming on Easter. I've been hearing that a lot this week, and I want you to know that we're going to do everything humanly possible, short of sinning, right, to roll out the red carpet so that you feel good that your friends will be at the My Church Easter experience. So... We're going to do everything possible. We're going to roll out the red carpet. We really believe that um, people will, will walk in. They'll feel loved, accepted, you know. Uh, if they're the, like, hey, don't, don't touch me, don't talk to me, hands off, we're prepared for that. We're good with that. We're great with, with new guests. We have guests every week. By the way, let's real quick give a shout-out to all our first-time guests and everyone who's watching online. Real quick, can we do that? Glad to have you guys here today. We're, we, we love guests. We're a very guest-oriented church. Um, some crazy stats you may not know that, uh, like, I forget what percent, like 70% of our church had never been in church previously to my church. That's huge. Uh, we've had a lot of people bow the knee, make Jesus a leader, and forgive their life. And Easter's a big deal for us. Uh, we've had so many people give their life to Christ on Easter in Easter's past. And I, I think about that. I know people that have come to our Easter experience and passed away uh, weeks, months after our Easter experience. And, and loved ones have said, hey, my husband got saved on Easter. Uh, I, 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 we had someone who died in a car accident, uh, a guy's wife. He said, my wife bowed the knee and made Jesus leader and forgiver of her life on Easter. We've got these experiences. So we hope that you will leverage these cards this week. You'll invite somebody. And again, like as we said last week, you know, people will say no. But on Easter, they'll say yes on Easter. It's crazy. So I hope you feel absolutely naked this week if you walk outside without a card on you, okay? <laughs> Got to have these with you at all times. So, all right, so we're, we're uh, continuing our conversation. Can't stay here. And I want to dive into this conversation and look at an idea um, that I kind of, 
I guess I noticed whenever my family, we drive out west. You guys know, we, I've talked about this before. We love to go out west. We go to a place in Colorado called Pitkin, Pitkin, Colorado. It's a population like 150, and that's when it's summer. In the winter, it's like population 50. I mean, because it's cold, and it's way out west, and it's exactly where, if you know any history, uh, when, when mining was big and, uh, you know, how the west was won, when all that was happening in the late 1800s, two railroad companies, two separate railroad companies had a competition, one coming west and one going east. They tried to meet in the middle and form a railroad that would cross our entire country. And the competition was was who was going to, you know, f- come the furthest distance to their the meeting point. And it actually came real close. They, 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 they missed each other by like a mile, and they had to try to connect that. But right where that meeting place is is where we go, Pitkin, Colorado, a little mining town, uh, very, very small. It's a dead end, so you've got to, like, be intentional to go there. It's really in the middle of nowhere. And one of the things we've loved is I, I, we drive out every year. We drive, and the reason, one of the reasons we drive is because we want a vehicle that we can, we can go crazy in. So I take my pickup truck and my entire family, and we take every off-road that is even considered an off-road. I mean, like steep, steep embankments way up on top of mountains where we've had the truck, like, sliding on gravel with the brakes on, where I'm, like, abandoned, everyone get out, dad's got this one. We've, I've had my daughter, Allie, who's the best at, like, Watching the boulders, I've got to traverse over, and if I, you know, get too high on one side by hitting that one, you got to make sure I don't. If I mess up, I'm going to slide off a cliff. We've 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 done some crazy stuff, and so the truck has got to go with us because we, we're going to go way off road. But along the way, we'll find like little little mining claims uh, that we'll we'll mess around in, and we'll find old stuff and some neat things, and we're not really, you don't really collect stuff, but it's just neat to see history. Sometimes we'll find some old headstones of like, this was somebody's ranch, and over here's where they had some cattle or some livestock or some horses. We'll find some old horseshoes, but on occasion we'll see some headstones, and what we notice about these headstones, and I, what I'm thinking through is so much history out in Colorado and, and so many things that you, you, you realize that were going on way before you were born or way before you ever found this, but I noticed this last week. I found one. That I, I got a picture of here. This is a guy by the name of Armstrong, uh, W.B. Armstrong. I have no idea if he's related to Stephen Armstrong, who's on our church staff. But this guy lived uh, from 1851 to 1913, right? I know nothing about this guy. But every now and then, we'll come across stuff like this out in Colorado, and I want to know more, right? And it, it, just, it just kind of it helps me grasp a couple of things. Our lives... End up, end up looking like that, uh, a birth date and an end date, right? And really what we do in between with that, with that dash is really what is important in our life. That dash re- represents a lot of stuff, doesn't it? That dash represents, at least for this guy, who he loved, right, who loved him. It represents his purpose. It represents, you know, possibly a dad who passed on a legacy to kids, maybe there are grandkids that, that go up in some of those parts and know history about their granddad. Our dad was, you know, a Wild West frontier. Maybe he was like an outlaw like Josie Whale. You know, maybe he was like White Earp or, you know, who knows. But here's what we've learned. As I've seen these headstones, and I've got a mom, 
And I've seen where my mom's been laid to rest. She's a Christ follower. So her, her body is there, but she's not. But here's what, I, here's what I've come to realize, and I'll say this to my kids, and we've talked about this often. You don't get to choose your birth date. You don't get to choose your, your end date. You're like, he's done. We don't get to choose those dates. But you do get to choose how you live. You don't get to choose how you're born, where you're born, who you're born to. God does that. You don't get to choose how you die. And I, I would love to choose how I died. I would make it really easy, like I'm going to go to sleep and that's it, never wake up again, right? That's how I would choose. But we don't get to choose those. We only get to choose how we live, the difference we make, the people we love, the, 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 the lifestyle, the legacy, the choices, the purpose. We get to choose that. So the, the, the idea for us this morning is we've got to choose well. It only makes sense to make the very best decisions with the amount of time we have left in life. Now, the truth is we have no idea how much time's left. That guy, W.B. W. Armstrong, had no idea that he was going to live in 1913. Had no idea. He might have thought he was going to live longer. Maybe he was a real wild guy. Maybe he thought, I'm lucky to live this long. But we don't get to choose that. Psalms speaks of the brevity of life. Uh, and the importance of this, Psalms 39 says this, Lord, remind me of how brief my time on earth will be. Remind me that my days are numbered, how fleeting my life is. You have made my life longer than the width of my hand, or no longer than the width of my hand. My entire lifetime is just a moment to you at best. Each of us is but a breath. I mean, it's just, just wisdom. There's gold right there. Gold and, and, and also wisdom, I think, I think we, we, we get to a wise, very wise, great perspective kind of place when we realize that life is fragile and our days are numbered. It's a wise perspective to have daily. I think when we have that type of mindset that my days are numbered on this earth, I do not know how long I'll live here, I think if we could live that way, we would choose better daily. We'd be more intentional about who we loved. We'd be more intentional about how well we loved. We'd be, we'd be so much more intentional and better and happier if we did what Psalm said. Psalm goes on to say this. It says, Psalms ninety twelve, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. I really believe when we, when we really start or understand that we are not going to stay here on this earth. This is not our forever place. When we understand that, we're wiser for it. Um, researchers have, have looked at human, human, you know, humans and our emotions and looked at the idea of Dash and why people live their lives. And, and this last uh, couple of weeks, I looked at some research and found out this pretty cool fact. I, I think it's factual. Uh, I didn't do the research, so I can't promise you this is correct. But it sure seems to me that this is correct. But researchers, and I, I think this is pretty cool. You ought to listen to this. Researchers said that the most common, commonly expressed emotion, like our number one most commonly expressed emotion that we have is number one is love. We want it. We, we, we all long for it. It feels good to give it. It feels good to have it. Um, it's expressed multiple kinds of ways, right, multiple levels, 
I got love towards my wife, and then I got love towards Ed, right? They're different, I promise you, right? But I love Ed, and, and, but I'm not affectionate to Ed. I mean, we're like bones and like a man hug, but I, I have love to my wife, and we have different types of loves. They said this, that the second most common expressed emotion is regret. Now, I want to talk about this idea of regret today because when you, as you get older, the older you get, the more you start looking at your life's choices. And the older I'm getting, the more I realize there's been times in my life where I didn't see some moments I wish I would have said yes to some things. I wish I would have said no to some more things. I wish I would have been bolder in things. And I would say that there are aspects of my life that I look at that I regret because of fear. Because of fear. Uh, but there's a difference between regret and just straight-up disappointment. Um, di- Regret and disappointment are very different. I, I can get discouraged, let me throw discouraged or disappointment. I can be discouraged when, um, let's just take one of our SEC football teams, I, I, um, Georgia, University of Georgia. I can get discouraged, we can get discouraged if you look at last season. They were decent, but it wasn't great. You know, if you had high hopes for a great season, like, you know, winning the national championship, you got discouraged because your team didn't play great. But that's not regret. Regret is different. Regret is, I'm discouraged, but I had the actual choice in this matter. I lived this. I made that choice. I said yes to this and didn't, shouldn't have. I said no to this. The difference between discouragement and disappointment and regret is, I didn't do anything to help Georgia lose last year or win. I can be discouraged about that, but regret is I played a part in my choices, my life, my decisions. There's a big difference. And so there's so many people that deal with regret that they say it's the number two emotion that we deal with. So what that means is there's a lot of us that aren't living our lives in such a way that we're numbering our days that we're really living in the moments that we have and cherishing those moments in such a day that we're waking up saying, let's, let's, let's live wisely today. Let's cherish what I have. Let's, let's be invested in the most important things. Let's live our lives according to God's best for us. So I want to say this. I would say that the, for me, the, that it comes, the reason I have regrets, it comes back to three words. And it would, I, would, I believe this is probably for a lot of us. The, the, the greatest reason, reasons that I have regret is over three words, lack of faith. Lack of faith. For me, it boils down to, really boils down to a lack of faith. Uh, because it is, it's in those moments where I had a choice to make. It was maybe a God-sized moment or a God-sized opportunity. Maybe it was, you know, for some of you guys, like, choosing the girl or the guy or the job or, you know, a step of, like, God leading you to go and do something he led you to do, you know, whatever, that we, that we miss that moment because of fear. And when we miss moments because of fear, what we do over time is we look back and we regret because I miss those moments. So for me, it boils down to lack of faith. 
And I want to I throw this out to you. They got this in your notes today. Just a little nugget that we wrote down. It's in your notes. Said, I have it in my notes listed this way. Every opportunity has an expiration date. And the cost of missing out can be greater than messing up. The cost of missing out is greater than the cost of messing up, which would mean that we're seeing more and more in our culture, in our generation today, that more people are choosing not at all over even stepping out and making the mistake, failing at it. It'd be better to fail than it would be to lay back and not do anything at all. And we're seeing that more and more and more. And I know that our enemy, we have one, our enemy would stop at nothing to cause us to be afraid of what's next and do nothing. Miss opportunities. So it's gr- it, it, every opportunity has an expiration date. I don't think every opportunity just stays there for us when it comes to God's economy and him leading us to follow him with big, bold faith. So the ones in front of you now um, may not be the ones in front of you in the future. Hebrews 11.6 says this, Without faith, it's impossible to to please God. So if faith is the thing that pleases God, then that, that for us is a huge aspect, massive. For us to not live in regret. I, I think that the opposite of regret is to live a fulfilled life. And we can't live good, fulfilled, satisfying, God, happy kind of lives apart from following God by faith. So I want to tell you a story in, in Joshua today. Joshua chapter 3. So grab your Bible. If you've got a Bible, look up Joshua chapter 3. It's in the Old Testament you got Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and so on. About 10 chapters in, 10, 10 books, and you'll find Joshua. Um, let me give you a little brief history. Joshua was born in a time when all Israelites, um, all of God's people were slaves to Egypt. Joshua was there when Moses uh, led them out of captivity. All right, So Moses was the man in charge, but Joshua was, was there in the midst of that captive place when, when Moses let him out. Joshua was there when God parted the Red Sea. You, if, you, if, you, if some of you guys know Bible stories, Bible history, uh, Joshua was there when God provided manna from heaven, that, the stuff that fell down, and they were like, we're hungry, we're hungry, and God led them and gave them manna to provide for them. Joshua was, was there. Uh, and we learned that Joshua was, uh, he, he had some great leadership qualities, uh, he was a man of faith, we learn, uh, and works his way up to become Moses' assist- assistant. So uh, they come to a place where Moses sends out uh, 12 spies to, to go into the promised land. They're, they're now, they've wandered, they've, they've, excuse me, they haven't wandered, they've walked, they've, they've gone on this journey. They're now on the cusp of experiencing God's promise and being in their promised land, the gift of this beautiful land that, that God would give to them, and Moses sent out 12 guys to check it out. Hey, go in there, do a little, little reconnaissance for us, uh, find out what you can find out. Is it really all that in a bag of chips? God's been saying this is going to be a promised land, it's going to be filled with milk and honey, it's going to be great. So they, these guys go in, 12 guys go in, 12 guys come back, 
Ten guys, well, all of them said it's phenomenal. They're like, woo, it is all of them. But ten of them say, hey, there's giants in there, and if we go in, they'll squash us. We shouldn't go. Two guys say, yeah, it's great, and we should go because look what God's done in the past. We should, we should go. So they take a vote. The majority wins. They stay. And essentially, they don't just stay because we understand that, like in this series, we don't stay. They end up ultimately shrinking back and kind of going into a hiding place and wandering for 40 years. During that time, God raises Moses up. I'm sorry, Joshua up. And Joshua is now the new leader. But I want to make a point just off the idea of them getting to the edge of the promised land, not going. And do you know why most of us, you know what happens to most of us when we say no to following God by faith or seizing an opportunity to feel like God's leading you to seize? Most of us do exactly what they did. We go to a hiding place. And I, and I jot some ideas down. I think a lot of our hiding places are, uh, one, insecurities. I think for a lot of us, our hiding places is, 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 our, in, is our own insecurities. Um, oftentimes, uh, uh, we will come up to an opportunity or a task or something that's called upon us, and we'll say, like Moses said, I, I don't have the ability for, for this. I can't do it. Moses said the same thing. Moses said, I, can't, I don't have the ability to communicate that well. I can't go talk to him. I, I'm not a good speaker. And he shirked back, and he went to his hiding place of insecurity. A lot of us, because of our own insecurities and fears about us not having what it takes, we miss, we miss what God's leading us to do at times. Maybe it's a step of faith. Maybe it's a step of obedience. Hey, this is right. But because of fear of self, we make poor choices because of insecurities. I, I would say another hiding place is, the, is our worst-case scenarios. In my 30s or in my 20s and probably some of my 30s, it was probably insecurities for me in most of my leadership. And now leading the church, leading my family, it's worst-case scenarios. Man, I'm, I'm great with those now because now I got, like, experience. I can tell you we've, we've done Easter before. I can tell you all that, all, everything that can possibly go wrong with Easter. And I'll, and, and, and I'll, and I'll, I'll backtrack, and there, there's been things that I have done that I have regrets over that we did not do that we should have done because I played the tape out and, and, I, and I talked about all the things that could go wrong and we said no because I knew too much, right? And we do that, and that's where a lot of us have that hiding place. A lot of us will hide, and our hiding place is procrastination. You just wait and you wait and you wait. Maybe it's because you're scared. Maybe it's because you're nervous. Maybe it's because, you know, fear. Maybe it's because insecurity. But procrastination is a hiding place for people. You just go hide there, and you just don't do anything. And you miss, you miss oftentimes what God's trying to do in your life. Another place is blame, hiding place of blame. And that's a reality for a lot of people. You haven't owned up to why you're at where you're at, and you point the finger to somebody else. And you're stuck, and you're mad, and you're hurt, and you're angry, but you blame somebody else. And that's your hiding spot. That's where you run for cover. That's where you retreat to. And so what, what I want to show you today is everybody has a hiding place. So the Israelites, they run and hide. They spend the next 40 years wandering because they miss God's 
best moment. They miss the opportunity. So they hide. They're wandering. Because of their lack of faith, Moses eventually dies. Joshua starts leading, but he wants to do it differently than his his predecessor. So he he decides, hey, we're going to follow God by faith, and we're going to lead I'm going to lead courageously. So Joshua chapter 3, verse 7, let me tell you this story. The Lord told Joshua, today I will begin to, to make you a great leader in the eyes of the Israelites. They will know that I am with you just as I was with Moses. So give this command to the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant. And when you reach the banks of the Jordan River, take a few steps into the river and stop there. Now here they are, they're back. They're back again. They're about, to get into the, they're about to get into the promised land. They were here 40 years before, but they missed the moment. Opportunity went bye-bye. They didn't follow by faith. They procrastinated. They, they had insecurities. They were like, we can't do it for whatever reason. Joshua's back again. God's given them the plan and tells them all this. And then first you've got to think, this is a terrible plan, God. Uh, and I would, I would probably have asked God before I told everybody the plan, God, could we just adjust the plan slightly? Could you go ahead, before we, before we, you know, get there to the water and take a few steps into the water, like put our feet in the water, and you stop the water at that point, God, could we just walk up to the river bank, just the bank, and then you stop the water before we put our feet in? That would be awesome. That, that would be easier on us. But God doesn't do it that way. God says, no, 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 put your feet in first, not one step, not an inch, not a toe. Walk a few steps in. Leaders model the way. Get in there. Those of you that are faith followers, there are weaker faith, of weaker faith followers behind you. So get in there. Let me show off a bit. And God does that. So now a couple chapters later, as they're they're in, the, they're in the promised land. Everybody does it. They do it. They walk through. They're like, "Woo, God, he's awesome. We can follow him. Our God's better than your God. We got the real God. So they're, they're partying. They're high on the hog. Did I just say high on the hog? I did. Don't know where that came from. All right. So Joshua chapter 6, God gives them, they're, they're now facing the enemy again. The previous enemy that they were going to face before, which they missed out, They're facing the enemy, Joshua chapter 6, verse 3. You and your fighting men should march. God's given them information, the plan about what he wants them to do. You and your fighting men should march around the town once a day for six days. Seven priests will walk ahead of the ark, each carrying a ram's horn. And on the seventh day, you are to march around the town seven times with the priests blowing their horns. I mean, so God's plan is like, we're going to be, we're going to bring a band and the band's going to distract and mess everybody up and we're going to win this way. Israel does it. And there, and, and they have this massive movement of God, like in people's hearts, their minds, their belief is like in an all time high. They just won because they did what God said, right? I mean, like, could you put yourself in their shoes? Like, you're scared to death about doing something so stupid and foolish. You're going to like sing and dance and skip and like blow tooting little flutes and horns with your enemy watching. They just, they just played themselves up as fools, but God did what he said that he'd do. And now they're like, oh, we're in. Our, I don't, we, don't, we don't care. Our God's real. But I want you to notice something here. There's a pattern. 
that's happening through this story that I don't want you to miss. And, th- and th- this is it. This is your notes. Big moves of God are always preceded by obedience to him and small things first. Big movements of God. And I, and I love big, like, yeah, let's, let's, let's have a big movement of God on Easter, right? I pray for huge things on Easter. I'm praying for 200 people to, to bow the knee. I'm praying that you bring your friends. I, I, I pray that we have over 2,000 people. I pray that we have an incredible day, a movement of God. But before, always before big things happen, big movements of God, they're always preceded by obedience, small steps, small faith steps. So here's the thing. Don't blow off these seemingly small things that God leads you to do. Don't, don't blow them off as if they don't matter. Small stuff simple little spiritual baby steps matter huge to God. They ultimately pave the way for you to experience God. Here's the thing. If God's leading you to do something and you never take that spiritual step of saying yes, you're never going to experience God. You can't. How do I know that? Hebrews said it earlier. It's impossible to please God apart from faith. How can you expect you to know dad if you're not trusting in dad? See, see, God wants to ultimately show you that he's large and in charge, that he's faithful, that he he can be trusted, not that he's your genie in your bottle just to do whatever you want him to do, but God ultimately, all through the Old Testament, every page of biblical history into our modern-day lives is all about faith. It's all about God wanting us to place our hope and our trust not in what he can do for us, because he can, but placing our faith in who he is. It's like, hey, I'm I'm the Murphy father of my household. I want my kids to trust that dad would protect them. I want my kids to trust that no matter what, daddy would fight and scrap and do whatever it took provide, protect, to, to lead, to, to make wise choice. I mean, that's what every dad wants. That's what God wants from us. Trust dad. Trust dad. So, so Joshua continues following and trusting God. And they encounter the Amorites again. And God tells them this in Joshua 10. Do not be afraid of them. Here we are again. We're like fighting another battle. We're about to go, go head to head, duke it out. With the same group again, they've they've reassembled, another spot, different location, a few chapters later. God says, don't be afraid of them. Then the Lord said to Joshua, and here's what I want to kind of get to in this ending part of the, the message in this passage. The Lord said to Joshua, for I have given you victory over them. I've already given you victory over them. So what he says to Joshua is he's personally trying to lead man up for himself, for for his family, for the children of Israel. And God says, not a single one of them will be able to stand up against you. Now, that's a a pretty awesome promise, right? So God gives him this promise, then this plan. And so they, they, they go into battle, and they do a surprise attack in the middle of the night. So he rallies, tells them what God said. They rally together. They attack him in the middle of the night. They pursue him all, all that night, all the next day, and into the next night. 
Now, that's a long battle, right? Some of you guys that are military guys, you know, like, you could, your adrenaline can go up, but it's hard. I mean, when it crashes, it crashes, right? So these guys are not like, oh, we've been, we've been, like, physically chasing these guys, beating them down all night, all the next day, and now it's going into the next night, and Joshua makes a tactical realization here. It realizes that if it gets into the next night, they could get away from them in the darkness, regroup, and come back and, and squash us. So Joshua prays, I think one of the most amazing, stupid, crazy, faith-filled, erratic, unconscionable prayers in front of everybody. And this is what he says, Joshua 10, 12. He says, on the day, on the, day the Lord gave the Israelites victory over the Amorites, Joshua prayed to the Lord in front of all the people of Israel. They're winning the battle. It's going into the next evening now. Joshua realizes, hey, we gotta, we got we to gotta make arrangements because they could regroup in the darkness and come back and get us, God. So, God. so Joshua prays to God, and he says, Let the sun stand still over Gibeon and the moon over the valley of Ajon, Ajalon. And essentially he's saying, hey, keep the sun in the sky so we can win and have more time. We need more time. Don't, God, I'm asking you in front of everybody, keep the sun right here. Don't let it, don't let it go down. Don't let it go down. Don't let the, the moon come up. You ever prayed like sun stands still before? <laughs> I never have. If I prayed that in front of you, you think I'd crazy. I was crazy, right? It's like us praying for great weather on Easter. Probably way bigger than that, right? Because... Because lives are going to be won or lost based off his prayer. But he prays this crazy bold prayer. Verse 13. So the sun stood still. And the moon stayed in place until the nation of Israel had defeated the enemies. Now here's what's crazy. He wasn't in a closet whispering this prayer hoping nobody would hear how stupid this sounded. Right? Like, it's one of these, like, do you hear the words that are coming out of the voice of my mouth right now? Right? He's in front of the whole nation of Israel. Everyone battling, people sweating, they got blood, they've been fighting all night. And he prays, God, we need you. We've been winning, but right now, God, we need need more light. Don't let the sun move. Keep it up longer. And the sun stays up. They, they, They win the battle. And people, like, are just, like, in awe of, like, God, you are legit. God, you are real. God, you can be trusted. I imagine dads are going, like, kids, come over here. Look at this. We do not want to forget this. Let's pass this on. Our legacy, everything's based on what God did. He can be trusted. So here's, here's what I want you to know. So what I want you to know today. What's impossible for us is not impossible for God. In fact, it's not even difficult for God. And I want to ask you guys this. It may seem crazy for people around you to believe in a God like this. It had to have been even crazy in that moment for Joshua. But I want to ask you, what is your God standstill prayer? What is it that you've been praying for 
that you just don't have the, the, the belief, the, the faith. The, the, I, I just don't think God can do that. What is that struggle? What's that tension? What's that fear? What's that scenario that you just think will never, ever, ever, it cannot possibly change? I've got a, I've got a, a, a mom who's got a 25-year-old daughter, lives in our city. They haven't spoke for three months. She bawled her eyes out on the way out today, and she said, she'll never, ever come back to me. What's your son stand still prayer? Do you think there's just no way, God, this cannot be fixed? This is so broke. It's so jacked up. It is impossible for us, but it's, but all things are possible through God. Now, here's the thing. Here's the thing. When it comes to this, we don't follow God. We don't say, God, you're our God because of what God can do for us. God might have just said, no, Joshua, sun's going to go down. You're going to lose this battle. I'll prove myself to you another way. God may not do what you want when you want to do it, but we don't follow God because of what he can do for us. We follow God because he's our Savior and he's our God and he loves us. We follow God because he is ultimately trustworthy. We follow God because because he has our best interests in mind and he is completely trustworthy because he's God and we're not. So here's the thing. God wants us, some of you today, to step out into an uncomfortable, scary kind of place because he's leading you to do it. I don't know what it is. What is God leading you to do? Or what is God leading you to know about him that involves your step of faith to comprehend it? What is your God standstill prayer? What is God leading you to know about him today? My hope is that, that whoever you are, there's a nugget in this for you today. You've got something in your world where God is leading you up to an edge like I, I'm on the edge of this stage right now. And there's been many times you guys have probably, if you ever close, if you ever open your eyes while I'm praying, we're all praying, I'll walk up and I'll be praying, I'll be like, whoa. I do that all the time. You guys notice that? I do it all the time. Whoa, about to fall. All right. For some of you, God has led you up to the edge of a decision that he wants you to make, a road He wants you to travel, a yes, a no, a faith step. But you cannot experience God until you step out there and you need him. And you got to sink or swim. When you've got to sink or swim is when you experience God's love, his grace, and his mercy. So uh, my hope is this. Whatever God's leading you to do, go do it. Whatever God's leading you to know by your next faith step, do it. When God leads you to do something, the answer must always be yes. 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 Or we'll end up like Moses and and, and we'll flounder and we'll wander and we'll retreat to that hiding place and we'll live with regrets. We're all going to have regrets. We're imperfect. We can't make every perfect decision. But here's the thing. I think God claps his hands and treats us like he's the football coach and says, come on, get fired up. Come on, follow me. Come on, I got this. I got this. Let's do this together.
So I think God wants us to step up big as a church. Going into Easter, getting fired up, seeing lives changed. I think for some of you, God wants you to get fired up as you lead your families. Kids, dad's going to lead strong. As for me and my house, we're going to serve God. And he wants you to start turning towards, going towards him as a man. Some of you ladies, same thing. Some of you are single moms. God's saying to you, follow me. Follow me. Don't shrink back. Don't blame anyone else. Don't, don't stay where you're at and get stuck because you feel insecure. It's not about your strength. It's about my strength. Let's pray. God, we love you. And Lord, I, just, I am so thankful that you give us Scripture, truth, like this that we can sink our teeth into and we can apply to our lives. God, I I pray for this church and I pray for the individuals that are here today, whether they'd be new to a conversation, a Bible study like this or a church service or someone challenging their hearts, our hearts, or whether we've been around this for a long time. God, I, I ask that you would do a work in us that would be evident, that would be evident that you, you would, you'd, be, you'd be cheering and applauding our faith. So, Lord, we ask that today you give us a, the gift of faith. You said it's a gift. We're asking, I'm asking, we're asking, God, give us boldness. And I pray that we would not shrink back because of fear or insecurity. And God, I pray that this group of people here today, we would not live in regret, God, because we're going to say yes to following you no matter what. We ask for that strength and courage today. In your name we pray. Everybody said amen. amen.